0: Welcome to Antioch Raleigh's weekly online sermon. We hope that you are encouraged by this word. For more information on Antioch Raleigh or access to our other online sermons, visit us at antiochraleigh.com. All right. Well, good morning, Antioch Community Church. It is good to be here. Are you guys having a great morning? Yes? Wow, I really loved worshiping Jesus. I wanna thank just, there's there's a lot of people who are working behind the scenes to make Sunday morning possible in terms of the worship and the sound and the greeting and the kids. So can we give it up for all of those who are laboring and serving? Thank you guys. Just from graphics to all of this stuff, everything that you see. Well, my name is Ben Wickle. In case you didn't know, I am one of the. Thanks, David. I'm one of the pastors here. I get the privilege of leading our discipleship school, work with our young adults, life groups, and a bunch of other things. And I, I, I have to say that I'm really blessed because to be, a, I'm a part of an amazing team, and an amazing church here. Really, this is an incredible church, and to tell you a little bit about our, our church, just briefly, especially if you're, you're visiting us and we're thankful and glad you're here. Uh, we, our mission is to really take to heart some of Jesus's last words, which was go make disciples. Discipleship, that whole process of becoming like him. I, I, I really believe that part of the reason that so many people in the world have yet to follow Jesus is because they've never met Jesus. And when the church and when we at Antioch can be, continue to take serious the, this, this call and commissioning to go make disciples, then we'll be able to more accurately reflect and introduce to the world this wonderful Jesus that we serve. And so that, that's, a, that's the mission of our church, is to go make disciples. And uh, for the past couple years, we've tried to develop some language and some understanding of how do you take what is very uh, highly... Uh, non-intuitive process of making disciples and and making it simplified. So we came up with the D cycle. I don't know if we can put that up there. Here's a graphic. And we talked about how being a a devoted disciple of Jesus means that you've decided to follow Jesus. You're being delivered. You're being disciplined. You think about prayer and worship. We're being developed, which is what we've been talking about for the past month or so. And then ultimately we are deployed into the mission of God. And to to introduce our topic this morning, I want to paraphrase a a story from Acts, I think it's Acts 14, uh, from the book of Acts. that will introduce our topic. It seemed like it was just yesterday, Paul and Barnabas lifting up prayers and worship to Jesus, alongside their trusted friends and fellow servants at the church in Antioch. It was while they were ministering to the Lord together that they heard the Holy Spirit say, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, after several years of faithful ministry in this wonderful community, they were on their first missionary journey, taking the gospel to new lands, new peoples. It was year two of their journey. They had traveled over 1,000 miles, both on land and sea, to the region of Galatia. They had seen incredible outpourings of God's grace, including several churches planted, hundreds of disciples made, signs, wonders, miracles. And yet it was not without its measure of hardship. There was the shipwreck on the way to Perga. There was the abandonment from their close friend, John Mark. They were beaten with rods in the city of Poseidon. And even Paul was stoned and left for dead at Lystra. Yet even with such intense hardship, they made this courageous decision to retrace their steps and visit these brand new churches with the hope of strengthening them in their faith. And so as they sat with these brand new disciples, some not more than a few weeks old, the scriptures give us an insight into what this brand new believers course looked like. And I'm, I'm gonna read it just straight from Acts chapter 14, verses 21 through 22. Puts it like this When they preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in their faith. And check this out and saying that through many tribulations, can you say tribulations? We must enter the kingdom of God. I like how Eugene Peterson put it in the message. He says, they retraced their steps to Lystra, then Iconium, and then Antioch, putting grit in the lives of the disciples, urging them to stick with what they had begun to believe and not quit, making it clear to them that it wouldn't be easy. And I love how he puts this. Anyone signing up for the kingdom of God has to go through plenty of hard times. I desire revival. Does anyone else desire revival? I desire his his favor on my life. I desire prosperity. I desire. I want every good and perfect gift that God has for me. Yeah. But do we? But if we don't heed what the scriptures say about inevitable trials. Do we then ill-prepare ourselves for the pilgrimage that lies ahead? We've been in a series through the past couple weeks. I think it's been called The the Life as a Pilgrimage. And Pastor Steve has been taking us uh, through Exodus and looking at how the children of Israel leaving Egypt, entering into the Promised Land, how that deliverance is, is a type and it's a foreshadow of our own deliverance. We looked at how The Passover lamb in the book of Exodus is a type and foreshadow of Jesus and his blood shed for us. Likewise, the journey from Egypt to the promised land is a type and shadow of our own journey. As Israel was saved and now learning to live in covenant relationship, we get saved and we have to learn how to live in covenant relationship. As Israel experienced trials, temptations, hardships, wilderness seasons, valleys, en route to their inheritance, so we experienced trials, tribulations, battles, wilderness on route to our inheritance. And our inheritance isn't just heaven, though that's a part of it. It's, it also includes seeing heaven and God's kingdom come here now. So here are some of the questions that I want us to address this morning. If the word of God and our life's experiences attest that hardships and trials are inevitable, how do we make sense of them? Better yet, how do we get through them? How can we as believers make it for the long haul? How do we finish Well, how can we be like Paul, who writing to Timothy says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I want to know how to be in my 90s and not burned out, but burning on fire for Jesus. Amen? I've been following Jesus for 20 years or so, and I've I've lost count. I'm I'm sure some of you are with me here. I've lost count of the number of brothers and sisters who were walking, that I knew, dearest friends. Some of them even led me to the Lord. I've lost count how, how many of them have fallen away from the Lord. They've fallen away from the church. I've been tempted to just walk away. If we are to finish well, We must be prepared for hardship, for trials and wilderness seasons that are inevitable. Our dearest relationships will be tested. Our purpose and our callings will be opposed. Our identity in Christ will be challenged. And how we handle these wilderness seasons, these trials, will determine the trajectory of our lives. So to answer some of these questions, I want us this week and and next week to look at five types of trials that we see in the scriptures, that can help us on our pilgrimage. And through each one of these trials, we're gonna talk a little bit about why we go through them. The scriptures give us a little bit about why, but more importantly, how do we get through them? And not just surviving, but like Paul says in Romans eight, how can we be more than conquerors? How can we be like Jesus who, when he returned from his wilderness, do you know what the scripture says? He returned in power. A couple preface points I want to make before we jump into this, okay? The list I'm about to give you that we go through this week, next week, it's not exhaustive. I'm sure we could, we could probably find more types of trials. And then secondly, there, there's a lot of overlap. These are the, most likely your experience and trial and hardship and what you're going through is probably a, a combination of some of the trials that we list scripturally, okay? Does that make sense? All right, here we go. Trial number one. Trial number one. This is the trial of progress. Can you say progress? Okay. When life is going awry, what is usually the first question that we ask ourselves? What did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? But what if the trials... What if some of the trials, some of the hardship that you're experiencing has absolutely nothing to do with what what you've done wrong, but what you're doing right? Trials you're facing could be because you're actually advancing the kingdom. You're taking territory for the Lord. The spiritual warfare, the hardship, the resistance is is coming upon you because you're advancing. You're being obedient. Can you recall the, the book of Joshua, for instance? 13 battles, 13 battles in the book of Joshua, and most of those battles uh, that we see unfold with the, the nation of Israel are happening as God's leading them, as they're advancing, they're taking their inheritance. So what does this look like? It looks like And maybe you've experienced this before, but let's say you start getting serious about your walk with Jesus. You're like, I'm going to start prayer walking my business or my my classmates around my school. I'm going to start sharing my faith. I'm going to start being a, a, a more godly leader in my family. And how many of you have sort of made those vows, good vows we should make with the Lord, and you're, you're excited, you have like this, this baptism experience and, and like, you just feel God's presence, his pleasure. And then within, maybe it's a week, maybe it's a day, maybe it's within hours, all hell starts breaking loose. Has anyone ever happened? I mean, that, that's, that's what, what says Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness. Maybe you're doing something good that's attracting the spiritual warfare. Now, a, a couple weeks ago, no, a few weeks ago, our family had the best family worship time. I mean, we we attempt it doesn't work out this way, but we attempt one once a week to to get the kids together and we put on some some worship jams and we let them pick. And nine times out of ten, they're just they're fighting, they're clawing, there's gnashing of teeth. It's like this is not what I envisioned. And this this particular Saturday happened to be like I'm like. We're all happy. We're all actually feeling the joy of the Lord as we sing about the joy of the Lord. And the kids are laying hands on each other. We're blessing each other. I'm like, this is awesome. We've done it, honey. We we did it. We've arrived. It can only get better. And then there was next week. (laughs) And then, you know the gates of hell are coming upon you. Parents will will raise their hand and shout a hallelujah, they'll say amen. I know when the stomach virus hits the family, hits the kids, and there's only one thing worse than kids getting the stomach virus. It's when you and the kids get the stomach virus. Thankfully, we didn't get it, but it was this crazy week in our family, and it, it was you know I'm waking up certain days, and I'm just like, why do I just feel discouraged? And and I'm, I'm pressing in the Lord. I'm like, what well, what's going on? and, and I just felt like the Lord's saying, you're advancing. You're advancing. You're, you're, you're not doing anything wrong. You're not doing anything wrong. So how do we deal with this? How do we overcome this trial? I can tell you what the enemy wants us to do. He wants us to, to quit, stop, get discouraged, run away, get fearful. Get, like, that's what he wants us to do. But let's look at Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Gives us some insight here. Ephesians chapter 6, and before we, I mean, we, it's okay to put it up, but before we get into, I want to give a little context about, there, there's a lot of cool context, and I'll try not to be too long here, but when we read Ephesians 6, and it, we're going to read in just a second that famous passage of putting on the full armor of God, wrestling with, with, with the enemy and all that, there was quite a, a history with Paul in the church at Ephesus. So the church at Ephesus, he had planted that church, he had been there a couple of times uh, been there for about a, a couple years, in fact, and Ephesus in itself was was no stranger to spiritual hostile climate. It was known as one of the magic magical arts centers of Asia during its day. It had the Great Temple of Artemis or Diana, which is part of it still in existence, Seven Wonders of the World. And Paul is planted this church there, and it's in. If you read Acts nineteen, it's one of the craziest chapters in the Book of Acts. There's so much supernatural things are happening, and it's in this, this, this occurrence with Paul in Ephesus, like they're taking his handkerchief, this is crazy, and, and it's being used to heal people, it's, there's such an anointing on it that people are, they're seeing like demons get cast out of people because of the anointing on this handkerchief, and Paul has such a, 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 an incredible deliverance ministry that people are starting to copy him, who are not Christians. And you got this group of people called the, the, these Jewish exorcists, the Seven Sons of Sceva. and they're like, "Hey, let's try it too." And they're trying to cast out demons, and the demons are going, "Ah, uh, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, but who are you?" And so they 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 actually these one man possessed. I don't know about how many, but he jumps and beats up these seven guys, and word gets out that that this has happened, and the fear of the Lord comes across across Ephesus, and you have like some scholars estimate like 10 at least thousands maybe tens of thousands of of people are coming to burn their occult like practices the scriptures say there were several millions of worth of dollars of occult practices and it makes such a dent in the the economic industry which I'll back up and say Ephesus part of their 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 economy was it was connected to their idolatry their pagan worship and so because of that, there's, you have this demonic principality, this cosmic level force that's upset that Paul is advancing the gospel, and so there's this entire mob riot. This is at the end of Acts 19, and they're trying to attack Paul, and it says that the whole city of Ephesus, which there's close to 200,000 people in Ephesus. I doubt all of them came, but they filled the temple, and that temple had about 20,000 people there, Twenty thousand, it could have fit twenty thousand. So think PNC Arena. There's this giant mob and it's just it's going so nuts and there's it's so much chaos because they're like, they're going, long live Artemis, and they're they're protesting Paul and and it's so chaotic that the the person in charge of all this, this anarchy is trying to get them to be quiet. It takes two hours. All I'm saying is that it was just Paul was no stranger to Spiritual warfare at a a ground level warfare, but also at like cosmic level warfare. Like that's the background. Paul's got battle scars of spiritual warfare. And he writes this in Ephesians chapter 6. Let's look at it. Finally, be strong in the Lord. We're talking about how to get through the trial of progress. And in the strength of his mind, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle. <laughs> I think it's interesting here. The seven sons of Sceva, you don't have to tell them this, <laughs> not to wrestle. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, and against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The problem isn't necessarily your, your atheistic boss or professor. It's not the politicians you didn't vote for. It's not the person opposing you. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore. Okay, in case you didn't hear Paul, what he's trying to say here: Stand. Having fashioned on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Paul tells us right here how do we get through trials, particularly trials of warfare where we're progressing. He says, stand. The Greek there is, it's, it's hold your ground. Hold your ground. So think football fans, think it's fourth down, you're... Goal line defense, the opposing team's coming at you, and you're just holding your ground. You're not letting them come after you, all right? If you're a history guy, it's it's William Wallace, the bridge of Sterling Bridge. If you're a Two Towers guy, it's it's Aragorn and Helm's Deep, okay? It's hold your ground. Now, also, interestingly enough, the the, the, it, the, the posture of holding, and even a lot of the armory, it's defensive, and I think part of the point there is that we're, we're not fighting f- for this place of, we, don't, we never fight for victory. I, I've said that from this pulpit, I'll say it again. We never fight for victory. Why? Because Christ is already victorious. We, we fight from a place of victory. We, we, we maintain our victory. We're standing, we're holding our ground. Now how do you, how do, you do this? What does this look like Practically? Here's what I want you to do. If you're in a season where you're experiencing spiritual warfare because you're being obedient, you're like, what's going on? Here's what I'll, I'll be really practical. Here's what you can do. One morning, get up. Get up early. Go somewhere quiet. Go somewhere alone. Grab, grab a, some, some grape juice, some wine, some bread. Take communion. Have your Bible open. And just hopefully you have the word of God in you. But you just begin to say, Thank you, God, that I overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Thank you, Lord, that you're my deliverer, that you're my refuge. Thank you, Lord, that you'll never leave me nor forsake me. And you just begin to quote. You just begin to thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. And what, you'll, what will happen is that the kingdom inside of you will begin to affect the kingdom outside of you. Thanks Brad. You're such an encourager. So your wilderness, your trial may be because of the spiritual warfare. So the remedy is stand on the word of God. Can you say it with me? Stand on the word of God. All right, trial number 2, corruption. This is the trial of corruption. We're talking about why we face what kind of trials so that we can make it for the long haul. We want to be prepared for them. Number 2 is the trial of corruption. This is the opposite Okay, your trials and hardships may be because of your own sinful choices, your own thought patterns, or any area where you've sowed to the flesh. Galatians 7 puts it this way, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And he's writing the Christians, he's writing the Christians there. There's a... Did you know there's a whole book of the Bible that, that, is, that speaks about reaping and the Israelites reaping, they're, they're sowing to the flesh and they're reaping corruption, and that's the, the book of Judges. There's this infamous la- line there. It says, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The book of Judges is the story after story of the rebellion in partnership with evil neighboring nations, which then conquered them and enslave them, they cry out to God in repentance. God sends a judge to deliver them. And then sadly, this pattern repeats itself 14 times. That's the entire book of Judges. Sometimes our unrepentant thoughts, our actions can reap consequences. So how can you tell? Here's a little diagnostic tool. How can you tell if, 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 if you're in this type of trial? Because if maybe you've sowed to the flesh. Here's a... Couple of questions. There, there there could be more questions, but here's a couple of questions to consider. Number one, could your spiritual dullness in your life be because you've given your heart and affection to lesser loves, idols? Anything that you go to before God is an idol while neglecting time with Jesus, prayer, study, worship. Could the negative emotions that plague you, such as fear, anxiety, contempt towards others, impatience, anger? Could it be because of the the type and amount of media consumption? Could shame and accusation that you can't seem to shake be because you've yet to step in the light and confess your sins to one another that you may be healed? Could the lack of your spiritual vitality and passion be because you're still harboring bitterness, resentment, offense, unforgiveness towards someone who deeply pains you? Could the lack of revelation in your life be because you've neglected the last thing he wanted you to obey? Could the quick temper and burned out attitude be because you've neglected the Sabbath? And I'm sure there are more. Thankfully, the word of God tells us how we can diagnose this trial. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. The psalm says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Let's take a pause. Let's pause the sermon right now. Let's let's practice that right now. You can just close your eyes. We're just gonna pray. Lord, just search our hearts. You know me, you know us. Lord, we give you permission, point out anything in our lives that is hindering intimacy, that is offending you, that we may enter the path of everlasting life. Just come and speak, Holy Spirit. Whatever it is, Lord, we confess that to you. We repent. Jesus, you are so much more worth our lives. Give us grace, Lord, to turn away. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. Give us the courage and grace to walk out our freedom, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. It's, it's really that simple, just praying, asking, just some, search my heart, search my heart. So that's the trial of corruption. Now here's the trial number three, trial of correction. Now I maybe could have combined this with the previous point. It's really two sides of the same coin. What, uh, this is what I mean. If there's a destructive, sinful behavior, and all sin is destructive, that we keep ignoring, not repenting of, then God in his loving kindness will allow... Sometimes he facilitates negative circumstances to get our attention and bring us to a place of repentance. Remember when I said in, in Joshua how most of the battles were a result of them advancing and conquering? Remember when I said that? Well, there, there's, there's one at least where it, their conflict was not a result of, of their obedience to God. And that's in Joshua 7. And it's the interesting story where they had just defeated, this is God's people, Joshua, they had just defeated the big, bad Jerichoites. The walls came crumbling down, and they just saw amazing deliverance in, in the impossible. And here they are, the very next battle is against this small, loathsome, very few in number group, this tribe called, I think you pronounce it A.I., I think it's A.I., and yet before the battle, there was a guy within Israel, his name was Achan, and he did what was, he was wrong. He, he stole some of the items that were dedicated to the Lord that they had got from the last battle, and he stole them, he kept them himself, he kept it in secret, he didn't tell anyone. And so unbeknownst to Joshua, they're getting ready for the next battle, and Joshua says, you know, I'll send out some spies, and the spies, they go out, and they come back and talk about... Some arrogance, it sounded a little bit borderline arrogant. They said, you know what, Joshua, we don't need the whole army. Just send out a couple thousand. We'll take them. We got this. And it would be like, it'd be like, this is, it'd be like NC State Where you guys beat Clemson. And then the next week you got to go to Wake Tech. All right. And no disrespect to Wake Tech. Okay. I went to Wake Tech, go Eagles, Harvard on the highway. All right. I went there. But that's what it was like. They're like, we got this. They go to battle against AI, and they have a couple thousand men, and and like 30 of them die. And all of a sudden, the scriptures say that fear came upon them. There was confusion, and they just completely fled. And Joshua's like, Lord, what's going on? The Lord reveals to Joshua. He actually says, Joshua, get up. Stop it. There's sin. And this is, there's correction. That's happening. The defeat at Jericho was about not just the Israelites' sin, but the Lord was correcting them. If you're not sensing the Lord's blessing, guidance, protection, or provision, or fruitfulness, could it be because the Lord is correcting you? Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 says this, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those who he, what does it say? Loves. As a father, the son in whom he delights in, God disciplines us because he loves us. He loves us so much that he doesn't want us to stay that way. Uh, I feel like most of my the Lord's correction of my life has to do with self-reliance versus God-reliance. Uh, when Julie and I were first lo- looking for our, our first time buying a home, and we had zero experience, didn't know what we were doing, and... We did not invite the Lord into any of that process. This was, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years. It was a long time ago, and I'm just—I was like, I'm going to be a man. I'm going to provide for my family. I'm going to go. I'm going to go do research, and we're going to go buy get a house. And I'm doing all all the stuff in my own effort and strength. And we we found a house. We go under contract. We put all this money down, the, the type that's non-refundable, and we do the inspection. And there's, there's like mold all over the basement. And it's like, this ain't going to work. And so we pull away and we lose like thousands of dollars. And I remember crying out to the Lord. I was like, Joshua, Lord, where were you? And the Lord's going, where have you been? Where have you been? This is the first time you've talked to me about this. And the Lord, the Lord was correcting me. The Lord was saying, Hey, I want to be in on this. I want you to trust me. I want you to acknowledge me in all your ways. Don't lean unto your own understanding. So the Lord, he, he gives correction. So how do we get through the trial of God's discipline? Well, we receive it. We receive correction. How can we practically receive correction? Here's something that you can do, real practical. Allow people in your life to give people, give, give like three or four people, Full permission to speak into your life, there are a handful of men in this church that I have given full permission to speak into my marriage. They speak into my finances they 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 look at they look at how they look at everything they 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 look at how i 'm parenting i I give them permission we talk about it i i I stand before them sometimes literally i 'm standing before them and we 're sharing this stuff and i 'm putting in my, myself in a position to receive correction, to protect me, to call me out when I'm going off. And so I would encourage you, if, if you don't have three or four people, and I'm not just talking about telling people the things that are, I'm not talking about like false humility or false bragging, or you know you know what I'm talking about, where like, you only talk about certain things, but like the deep things you don't get into, you give three or four people. Find those people. There are people here I know in this church that are, who are wanting to partner, wanting to disciple, wanting to mentor. That's the culture we want to have, where you can not feel shame, but you can feel safe that these people aren't going to judge you or reject you, but they will call you out and call you up. And that's how we can practically receive correction. We got one more. One more trial. I said five, we'll do one next week. Trial number four, the trial of God's pruning. The trial of God's pruning. John 15, 1-5 says... Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he, what does he do? He prunes, so that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the words that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What does Jesus make very clear here in this passage? He makes very clear what our purpose is in life. We got one purpose, and it's not our personal happiness, it's our personal fruitfulness. That's that's our purpose in life. We talk about the mission of God is to make disciples. Well, making disciples is is, is about getting people to look like Jesus. How do we look like, what does it look like Jesus when we bear fruit? Galatians 5, this type of fruit. I'll read it to you. 522, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, a.k.a. you're becoming like Jesus. And Jesus is so committed to this process that even when you're bearing fruit, guess what's going to happen? You're gonna, he's going to prune you because he wants more fruit. He, loves, he He wants you to look more like Jesus. So this is a lot like the first trial where you're like, "I'm not doing anything wrong. It's, 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 it's not because you've sinned, it's not because there's you know, God's correcting you or he's, it, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you, you may be like bearing fruit, you're like progressing. And unlike the first trial where that was spiritual warfare, this is the Lord putting you in situations to grow whatever it is, that fruit, whatever you need to look more like Jesus. The cultivation of grapes. You guys have probably heard a lot of teachings on this, but I'll I'll recount one. In a typical season, a vine will produce 40 to 60 canes. If all those canes are left on the vine and allowed to produce the following year, what happens? The vine will not be able to support them. The fruit will fall off prematurely. It will be small, sour, in a word, useless. So the vine dresser will prune, I didn't know this, 50-some canes back, just to five. Dead branches are removed, and living branches are trimmed back. The pruned the prune vine looks butchered. One encyclopedia described pruning as organized destruction. How does this relate? God wants you to have, fill in the blank, more patience. You may want to have more joy. You may want to have more peace in your life. You may want, we should all want all the fruit of the Spirit. We want to be more like Jesus. And so what does he do? I know what we want. We want, like, the Matrix-style instant impartation. I don't know if you've seen the movie where they plug the cord in and you just like, like you, you knew instantly jujitsu. Like, that's how we want things from God. We just, peace, yeah, peace, patience, patience. You know, God does that. That type of interaction we do for babies. Oh, you want food? Here's a bottle. Bloop. Just pop it in. That's what we do. But growing up in the maturity, God, what God does, you want, let's say you want more gentleness in your life, more self-control, gentle, let's say gentleness. He will orchestrate circumstances. He'll introduce you to people in your life that, are, that will create the perfect environment for you never to be gentle. <laughs> and in that moment, you have two choices. You can either self-effort into that, which never works, or you can abide. You can abide. Your negative experiences can actually be amazing opportunities to partner with God to see his nature manifest in you. Every circumstance can activate either the old dead self or the new man in Christ. You get to practice patience, peace, joy, love. I remember several months back, I was going through a season where I, looking back, I'm thinking, oh, the Lord was wanting me to have more peace and, and, and really his, feel his love. And I noticed every relation, almost every relational interaction with people, particularly people I worked with, people that I was ministering along with, people in authority, there was this incredible sense of insecurity around pe- those people. I, I would get text messages saying, hey, can we talk? And I'm like, <gasps> Uh, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? And of course, there would be nothing about me doing anything wrong. But every interaction, and I'm going, Lord, I've, I've got, like, I did the whole identity in Jesus thing. I heard the Father Heart of God message already. God, what is going on? Why am I feeling so insecure? And it was several weeks, it felt like months, where I, I, I'm just, Lord, I, I, I feel like I've regressed in my confidence in who you are and this peace and love. And, I remember confessing it with brothers, and and I was like, Lord, this isn't this isn't warfare. I don't this isn't this isn't I don't I'm not I'm I, I'm sure I repented of a whole bunch of things. i broke off every generational curse, but I was like, I don't think that's this. And the Lord just began to show me that I, I he's I just want to I want my love to go deeper, so I'm pruning it back, pruning it back. And so that's what the Lord does sometimes, because He wants you to bear fruit, to look like Jesus. You remember that song we were singing? I loved it, Marianna. It was a great song. I'm getting ready. I'm getting, what, are we getting, what are we getting ready for? What's the song about? Getting ready for what, Marianna? We're getting ready for Jesus, but what day are we talking about? The, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Sometimes we forget that the, the end goal of discipleship, the end goal of spiritual formation, there's an end to it. In the end is that we are preparing ourselves, people who, you, if you've been married, you, you know what I'm talking about, if you're married, about wedding day, you see the bride, There's, it's the most magical moment in all of the ceremony when the bride is coming down the aisle. like it's the most powerful moment of the wedding, and the bride is ready. And discipleship, and, and pruning, it's all about, he's, we're getting ready, we're getting He's wanting you to more love, more joy, more peace, more patience. We're ready for him. That's what he's calling us into. Warren or whoever. (laughs) We're family here. Thanks, buddy. (laughs) So here's, here's, I gave you four trials. Trial of progress. We got a trial of progress. There was the trial of corruption, trial of correction, trial of pruning. There's one more next week. It's, I'll call it the Valley. Okay. Yeah, one more. There's one more next week. It's, uh, I didn't have time to get it, it deserves a whole sermon. It's, it's called the Valley of the Shadow of Death. And it's, it's about experiencing the resurrection in the hardest of pains. But to recap, really to, to wrap things up, I'll end with really these three final comments. Three things. Number one, James it talks about consider it pure joy when you fra- face trials of many kinds because the testing, is, it's making you complete. So whatever trial you're going through right now, every tribulation, any hardship, it's making you more like Jesus. Jesus is in control. It's making you more like him, no matter how hard it is. Number two, all wilderness seasons are just that. They're seasons. Psalm 23 says, I, does it say I build a house in the valley of the shadow of death? It says, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You pass through it, it's a season. And then lastly, I'll say this. We talked a little bit about why and why is health, why we go through trials. Why. And as humans, human nature, we want to know why. I want to know why. But there's actually one question that's better, and that's who. We, oh, why am I going through this? What am I doing? And God's going, no, I, I want to, I want to tell you who. I want you to know who I am, and I want you to know who you are. That's so much better. He wants to prepare a table in the midst of your enemies and be there with you. He's Emmanuel. Amen. Hey, I'm going to ask us to stand. We're going to close in a time of worship as well as ministry time. And I want to give an invitation this morning. If you need prayer in regards to any of those, you're, you're in a trial and you're like, I just, I need someone to stand with because I'm in the middle of warfare. Notice what Paul said in Ephesians 6. six we do not, it, it's corporate. You, you can't stand alone. So you need prayer because you're going through warfare. You need you just you need to confess. You need to say, I just need someone just that can confess where I've sowed into corruption. I've sowed into my selfishness. If you just want to agree with someone to receive correction, and then lastly, if you're just needing to abide, I just want to. I just want to abide. I want. To, I'm going to invite our ministry team, to, our elders, to come up front. They're going to pray with you. And through, of course, if there's anything else that you need prayer for, we want to pray with you. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that because of the blood of the Lamb, we overcome, and that. Regardless of whatever trial and tribulation and circumstance we're in, you are with us. Even in the trials that are the result of our own sinfulness, you never left us. Even if we're in the wilderness because of our own unbelief and rebellion, just like the people of Israel, you still guided them. You're still a covenant God. And so this morning, Lord, we want to lean and abide in you, Lord. We want to know who you are and whose we are this morning. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, come and move in our hearts. We give you permission. We trust your leadership. Come and move. Lord, I proclaim if there's comfort needed, I proclaim comfort courage needed, I declare courage. If there's conviction needed, I declare conviction. If there's just the sense of Emmanuel that's needed, Lord, neither height nor death, nothing in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God. We thank you, Jesus. We trust your love this morning. We receive it this morning.